I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And, and this, this is Brown Springfield. We're just getting used to it. This is a special Max Fun Drive episode, baby. You're only listening to this if you're super special. Mm, if you have a super special mind, a super special spirit, and a super special wallet, baby. <laughs> because that means you've opened up that super special wallet and you have contributed to the Max Fun Drive. You've opened your wallet and your heart. And your mind and your soul and your spirit. And um, you want all the perks that come with being a supporting member of this here podcast network. And we just want to say thanks up top yeah, to you. Thank you so much. Listener. This is a very special episode that we're very excited about to tee up these guests before we get the formal introduction. We've We've really been wanting to have them on and with the new format of round springfield unlike everything's coming up simpsons uh this is the perfect place to have them because we're going to be able to totally geek out and have a love fest of the simpsons and it's going to be so much fun especially for our listeners who love our new show but kind of miss us talking about the simpsons this one's for you (laughs) and a lot of people because we host a simpsons podcast will liken us to being simpsons professionals that is their title not mine Mm -mm. we are called simpsons professionals and experts often but i very gladly relinquish that title to our special guest today because they truly are the experts oh yeah they are smarter than us way smarter (laughs) they've written books plural we've only written book about the simpsons they've written books (laughs) about the simpsons they're so smart and so sweet and so great and i agree with all all of their points. <laughs> How about that for an intro? Please welcome Dr. Karma Waltonen and Denise Duvernay. Denise and Karma, you guys, I, I always refer to you as Denise and Karma in the same way that people refer to us as Allie and Julia, Julia mm-hmm. and Allie. Did you guys fight over whose name comes first? <laughs> <laughs> well, my name comes first on, on the Twitter account because of the alphabet. And Karma's comes first on the book because she did, or on the books, thank you for pointing that out, because <laughs> she she did a lot more work on the first book, and she has a doctorate, and I don't, so I just have a lowly master's degree. <laughs> Must be nice. And as recently revealed on Round Springfield, I barely have completed my bachelor's. And I did not. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all operating at the same level. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, Denise and Karma, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. I know that we've been in talks about this for a very long time, and I'm sorry it's taken this long, but we are here, and it is so exciting. We're so excited. So for people that don't know who you guys are and are people that are going to love the books, uh, the book that you wrote and the book that you uh, co-edited together, can you give a introduction to your work uh, as well as the two books that you guys have? Denise, do you want to start? Oh, sure. Okay. Well, it all started when you were about seven, Allie, (laughs) in... In uh, Tallahassee, Florida, we both earned our master's degrees at Florida State, and part of 
the program that we were in uh, was a, a, an English program, and it required us to create a special topics writing course. And Karma was a year ahead of me, and we both ended up you choosing The Simpsons as our special topic. And we weren't required to submit it for review and to potentially teach it, but why recreate a course and not do that? And why create a special topics writing course and have it not be on The Simpsons? <laughs> uh, of course, we were the only ones who did that. So uh, out of, you know, dozens and dozens of other uh, <laughs> people getting master's degrees in, in English. So I guess that's a yeah, silly point. Yeah, what were point. their so, topics? Some Shakespeare bullshit? <laughs> yeah. I, was there Shakespeare bullshit well, karma? I remember the well, Russian guy wrote growing up a, behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah. Um, oh, big deal. Our friend Dave did writing about Buffy, I think. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's cool. He could stay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He can join us at the table. Right. I know a lot of people had their class sort of be the same thing that they were working on for their master's thesis or for their PhD dissertation. And a lot of them, I remember getting really burned out because then they were spending all of their, all time, their time on the topic and then all of their writing time on the topic. There were also just some choices that people didn't find that sustainable. Like uh, since the lead singer of The Doors got arrested in Tallahassee, one guy did a course on his poetry. Is <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Jim Morrison's poetry? Yeah, which is bad. But he said pretty early into that semester that both he and the students were getting really sick of that and they didn't know if they could do it for 16 whole weeks. <laughs> and so I think that Julia and I could relate to, you know, having done the podcast together for four years, people, of course, are curious, like, do we get burned out on The Simpsons? And now that we are no longer technically required to be watching episodes every week to do our podcast, like, I miss it. Like, I, Me too. I love watching The Simpsons all the time. And so I think you guys picked an excellent topic as something that is like for starters it's been on forever but like the fact that you could re-watch these episodes there's so many different themes and mm -hmm. meanings and it gets better each time you watch it so way to crush it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it, it was so rewarding for this and you know there there was just always more of it coming too mm -hmm. never enough time to say everything you want to say about the simpsons and forgive me if this is something that you've addressed multiple times, because I'm sure people have asked you why The Simpsons, but I'm going to ask, uh, what was it about The Simpsons in those moments uh, that you shared in college, your decision making of, I want to choose this as my topic? What about the show appealed to you beyond, say, doing your thesis on Cheers or other shows that were comparable in their legacy? Oh my God, Cheers would have been amazing. <laughs> Go back to what school. What was I thinking? <laughs> oh, oh. Do you want that one, Karma? Sure. I wasn't actually writing on The Simpsons at the time. I was working on something else. But The Simpsons for me just came as the first thing I wanted to do because of the amount of material that was out there. Because back then there was over 10 years. And of course now there's over 30. But there was so much to work with. And it had been a show that really changed television in so many ways and one that I identified with just right from the start. And it was about the time that Denise and I were first teaching this class. 
since it was 20 years ago that, you know, Time magazine said The Simpsons was the most important television program of the 20th century, which I think is hilarious because then you have to wonder what the most important television show of the 19th century was. (laughs) (laughs) An old boot in a jar of hay. (laughs) It was the fireplace. Mm, The old radio fireside chats, eh? (laughs) so much violence in that fire as we learned from Bart and Marge yeah. later. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it really did shift a lot of things. And I've always been interested just in comedy in general anyway, in its various forms. So The Simpsons was a great fit for me. And I liked how I could trick the students into becoming critical thinkers. <laughs> I remember at the end of one semester, a student said to me, I can't watch sitcoms anymore. They're too stupid. Because you've shown me how smart The Simpsons is, Mm. and now I realize how stupid these other sitcoms are that I've been watching. And I think she mentioned that she thought Friends was one of them, that she thought that she was finding incredibly stupid. But I said, well, you know, there's a time and a place for all of them, but it's true that nothing is quite as multi-layered as The Simpsons. Nothing makes references to stuff that our grandparents were into, like The (laughs) Simpsons. And then, you know, things that like people younger than us are into, right? And, um, you know, making references to Streetcar Named Desire and Hitchcock and Shakespeare to bring up Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Just so multi-layered. And, you know, you've got like Barney Belching and then you have, you know, home um bart saying something like i'm familiar with the works of pablo neruda like right. it's just it's just brilliant <laughs> so perfect so um so that was kind of a gratifying moment for me when that student said that i wrecked television for her i was pretty happy about that <laughs> that actually leads me quite naturally to my next question um so you are both scholars and professors and scholarly professional women um in your book simpsons in the classroom you acknowledge that many classical literary references Shakespeare, I believe, is your example used um, from Hamlet, that one of the many things that has been absorbed through cultural osmosis by way of The Simpsons. Do you find this to be a natural or unnatural process that so many people only know the works of Pablo Neruda by way of The Simpsons or (laughs) Orson Welles? Do you think that that is helping or hurting the legacy of the literary canon? (laughs) I actually, I think it's helping. And I think Part of the reason is we don't have what what used to be called sort of cultural literacy, meaning that back in the day when everybody was sort of reading the same books, and of course back in the day when there were only a couple of channels, so we were all watching the same TV, and back, of course, when there was only one TV, so you were watching what the family had on all together. Remember that? <laughs> it was so crazy. <laughs> There was more chance in the past that we all got these things because we were all taking, you know, you had to listen to what your parents put on in the radio in the car. You didn't get a separate DVD system to entertain yourself. But now with our media so diffuse and the way we take it in so diffuse, like The Simpsons might be saving some of those older classics. Mm. It might be Mm -hmm. some of my students only access to those things or the only thing that gets them to view those things. They're not sitting down watching old black and white stuff with their grandparents the way that we were. Mm, that's a really great point. It makes me think of that Chuck Klausterman book that just came out, well, came out a couple years ago, but what if we're wrong? And it talks about 
our proposed legacy of certain cultural artifacts that we think are going to be timeless in our current state and sort of following the trends of what is currently timeless and, you know, we socially acknowledge, you know, Abraham Lincoln being honest Abe, those kind of things that have permeated through several different generations. He proposes in that book that, you know, things we think are going to be, you know, constantly within the zeitgeist are not going to be because of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, one of them being like the series Breaking Bad, shockingly, may not permeate through different generations because um, he proposes that it's not linked to a huge technological achievement or a shift in culture. It was a shift in culture to a degree, but I think, you know, it can sort of be buried in a lot of other prestige TV kind of things. And it's interesting that The Simpsons, in a way, is preserving these things that maybe in the moment they were identifying as just quick jokes that made themselves laugh, unaware that they were affecting a whole generation and generations of uh, viewers. What are some examples, if there are any, of references that you learned because of The Simpsons? For example, like I didn't know that, um, well, this is different, but like I didn't know that MacGyver was a real TV show right. until I, like I thought they made it up for uh, The that Simpsons. That wasn't your fault, though. As we've talked about previously, that was not Allie's fault because The Simpsons picked and chosed when they wanted to create their own culture. And, <laughs> and so, and MacGyver sounds silly. It does sound silly. It sounds silly. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> uh, I, I can't imagine any example would be more embarrassing than that one. <laughs> but if you have any, I welcome them. <laughs> I love, I love this laugh. <laughs> oh, man. Oda, he just had his birthday. Oh. I happy birthday to him. Yes, yes. Um. Richard Dean Anderson from Minnesota. Hello, I'm from Minnesota, by the way. If that wasn't apparent by my, <laughs> by my, by my slide right there, that oh, that he's also from Minnesota. I never knew who um, Steve and Edie were until I asked my dad because my dad was laughing when <laughs> Abe said, "I've got Steve and Edie tickets," and this was before Wikipedia, so I had to ask Dad. And I used to, my dad, um, when I lived at home, I, we would watch it together. And um, I didn't know who Rory Calhoun was. Um, I had to Google Lemon Party, I'll yes, admit. Right. A lot of Burns lines require Lo- a lookup. Yes. Right. Oh, gyro, right? Yeah. But luckily, I didn't ask my dad what a lemon party was. But, he went to his <laughs> but I, I did know what MacGyver was. But I was an avid viewer. Karma? <laughs> I'm the... The things I was least likely to get when Sorry. I was a teenager. <laughs> what? No, it was the drug references that oh. I I was oh. I did not get at all. Um, those, of course, weren't always explained to me. I have a very vivid memory of the episode where Homer says, "Leaves of three, let them be. Leaves of four, eat some more." And my stepfather started to just die laughing. And so I knew that there was something that I wasn't getting. Um, (laughs) He didn't want to explain that one to me. Um, So yeah, there were lots of drug references I didn't get. It took me, and again, I was a teenager in a different time than now, but there were also, it took me an amazingly long time, I think, to figure out that Smithers was gay. Um, That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it wasn't until the episode where Mr. Burns and Smithers 
are looking at the beehive and he says, see that queen there? I named her Smithers after you. <laughs> you had sudden flashbacks. Yeah. Like all of pieces clicked into place and I was like, oh, and I got all of these things at once. Yeah. And, and <laughs> until then, it was very, enjoy your death trap, ladies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the best things to say as you exit a room, especially yeah. in a professional meeting. My personal one was, and I've talked about this before, but it like it rides the line of being well I think it works both ways like it, it I still argue that it worked out of context and it worked within the context of referencing something but when it, Patty and Selma I mean sorry when Selma and um, Troy McClure are married and he regards Jub Jub and he says and Jub Jub he's everywhere you wanna be um, <laughs> I thought that that was just silly a com- I thought it was silly I thought it was a comment of how like terrible of a pet Jub Jub was but said in this Troy McClure upbeat kind of spirit and then Josh Weinstein came on our show and was like oh no he's referencing American Express commercials um, because (laughs) we you know proposed that Troy McClure is just his personality is constructed from all of the work he's done and there's a hollow shell of a man left (laughs) so I was like oh well that's very dark compared to just me thinking it was a pesky pet, but <laughs> you're the boss. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know more about kind of uh, Simpsons in the classroom and kind of just what that looks like. And I remember hearing from my sister, who's I think she's 10 years older than I should know, but she's around 10 years older than I am. And, <laughs> you know, she was going to Berkeley for college and she's really Elisa Simpson. She had over four point. and she was vegan before I knew what that meant. Like, I think vegetarianism was still kind of lame, but she was already one step ahead. And um, she told me that there was a Simpsons course and that she had to drop out of it because it was too hard. And (gasps) like, she's never dropped out of anything. And she is such a Simpsons, like, I won't say scholar because, you know, that we're talking to, to you guys, but like she was really knowledgeable about The Simpsons. I can't even imagine what was going on in that class. I know. I want to know. <laughs> Me too. God. Uh, but can can you kind of paint the scene a little bit for, for listeners who are like the idea of learning about The Simpsons and discussing it are salivating at the mouth thinks, and wanting to, you know, kind of get to, to do these things, you know, to have education and Simpsons together at right. last. What does that class look like? Nuts and gum. <laughs> together at last. We teach it in slightly different ways. So, Denise, do you want to talk about yours first, and then I'll do mine? Well, sure. Well, so, well, at Florida State, it was strictly um, writing class for freshman rhetoric, argument, composition. And then later, I turned it into an intro to literature class, where I was able to create my own syllabus. And I decided that I wanted to make everything have a reference to The Simpsons with the idea that The Simpsons are ubiquitous and worthy of the analysis that literature gets. And so kind of coupling them together. So it would have like a streetcar named Marge and we'd read streetcar, some Shakespeare, some Pablo Neruda. So I didn't do a straight up like, the Simpsons class after I left Florida State. Karma did, but mm-hmm. I did not. So I just and then I and then I would work in the Simpsons into whatever class I could. So when I taught a, a public speaking course, of course I would bring in 
Homer learning how to do public speaking and how so much of that is about confidence. You know, so so just working it in as, as much as I could into regular courses, I guess, regular meaning, you know, just whatever the university wanted me to teach, I would teach and figure out a way to work the Simpsons in. Because as we say in our book, laughing students are not sleeping students. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's great. It's a profound quote from Karma J. Waltonen, PhD. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I work The Simpsons in in that same way to a lot of the courses I teach. Like, I'm doing an intertwilet right now, and I'll be teaching Macbeth, so the students will get to see the Simpsons parody of that, and also some of Rick Miller's Mac Homer. But then I do also have that separate. Simpsons course, and that's going to be running later in the spring. But it's a seminar, and basically each week we work on a different theme. And so one week it'll be The Simpsons and American politics, and then it'll be mm -hmm. sort of like The Simpsons and religion in America. And I pick the first few themes, but I let the students vote on what they want to do for the themes toward the end of the course. I always have a mix of some students who've never seen it before who want to culturally catch up, some foreign students who want to understand American culture better, um, and then, of course, the fans of the show who want to come in, many of whom, you know, grew up watching it with their dad or something. And then we get to talk about these things. And we can never, of course, even talk about all the themes that I want to talk about. But it ends up being really, really, <laughs> really, really fruitful. And the students kept voting, especially when it was anonymous, voting to talk about sex on the show so much that I just put it <laughs> in the regular. On this syllabus is one of the regular weeks, and that's part of where me writing about The Simpsons and sex in the newest book came from, is, you know, realizing that we actually had all of these things to say. Did they appreciate Horny Marge? <laughs> they do. And, and, of course, one of the things we talk about is how refreshing it is to see an episode where it's the woman who's unsatisfied with a lack of sex yes. in her mm -hmm. marriage, you know, that, that often TV just, and sitcoms just stereotype this as being something that only men are thinking about or that only a man would miss once a marriage got kind of stale. And the woman always has a headache. <laughs> right, right, right. That's where the dumb sitcoms that your student was lamenting about probably comes in. Um, I'm curious, you don't have to name names or go into too many details, but listen, you're a bunch of teachers and your students aren't here. Were there any students who have taken your course and done whatever final project is required and you have felt has egregiously missed the mark? <laughs> Just people that don't get The Simpsons or do they all come at The Simpsons in their own specific way? And, and it's hard to say that who has missed the mark. I I had a student who was very, very difficult. He wanted the class just to be this easy A and to only watch cartoons and not think about them. And every time, like, I would take him out of the class to have a talk with him about it, like, the pot smoke would just hit me uh, and mm. give me a contact that was coming off of him. But He's a Rick and Morty uh, fan, so. <laughs> probably is now. But um, he, the, at the end project was to write a mini script 
And I have had some students write some absolutely amazing ones. And then, of course, I've had students write what you would expect students to, to be able to write at the end of the course when they're young. But then this guy just wrote an episode where every single member of The Simpsons, including the baby, was just high. And one of my requirements <laughs> is that whatever you do, the characters have to be in character. Yes. Or you have to explain what's happening. Like, in the episode where Homer is high a lot, they explain why, right? Mm-hmm. But this guy was just like, mm-hmm. no, Putt's funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. He's got a point. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he was the one who missed the mark for me. Yeah. What about you, Denise? Yeah, I don't have anything outstanding like that, no. I had students who just, for the most part, were really, really into it and really enthused you know, mm-hmm. they were excited about it. But I haven't taught a, a Strictly Simpsons class in so long that I haven't experienced the students who weren't raised with it. I was recently talking to a coworker of mine who's, he's probably about 30. And he was telling me that he was raised in a fundamentalist household and wasn't allowed to watch television at all, really. And that he has maybe seen one or two Simpsons in his life. And I, I, I just, I can't wrap my head around that. And I thought, well, what would happen if he had taken my class? Like he would, it would just be a whole new world, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Which you can say now because Disney owns The Simpsons. <laughs> I, I can sing it if I want. I won't, I promise, but I could. But I, I remember I had, I, I just, I, yeah, I had a great, great students when uh, two of them pitched in and got me Simpsons clue at the end of the semester oh, that's nice. so that was nice I still have it yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so I don't know but I didn't have any potheads that was lucky <laughs> I do remember having a couple of students especially athletes not to stereotype athletes but the baseball players at Florida State also looking for a couple of easy A's and they were a little disappointed that they were going to have to do just as much writing as the other writing intensive courses mm. that they had to choose from even though this one was focused on the Simpsons so jokes on them yeah <laughs> yep you're still going to have to write your 25 pages or whatever the magic number is that the <laughs> university wants you to write for this class. <laughs> so I'm curious, in your latest book, uh, I really loved how in the introduction you um, focus on the whole like Simpsons predicted it phenomena that I think lots of people like to cling to because it is a conspiracy theory and conspiracy theories are fun. Um, and I love how you address how impossible it is that they could have predicted anything, you know, because I think a lot of, you know, uh, implication that a lot of people say the subtext of Simpsons predicted it, it, it kind of goes all the way to the top of like, they're part of the Illuminati. And that's why this and that and this. It's like, no, they're making a TV show. Matt Craning is a time traveler. Oh, yes. Right. That pops up in my Google alerts at least once a week. <laughs> He's a time traveler? Yeah, must, that must be nice. <laughs> and I'm like, well, when is the last time Matt Groening has actually written an episode of The Simpsons? That's a question I would like to throw in. <laughs> mm, wow. Matt, Shots we challenge fired. you. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first on this Max Fun specific pledge drive episode. He's, he, he's got to be a sponsor. He, he, it'll get back to him. Um, but this, this is leading to, um, I'm curious about the things that you find are intentional thematically and 
are could be considered Easter eggs that you write about in your books, particularly gender roles. And there's a really great chapter you have about gender roles in witchcraft. Um, can you go on about what inspired you guys to highlight gender roles within the, the lens of The Simpsons and, you know, how you find it to be positive or negative for, you know, the kind of gender roles that are are continuing to this day because gender is such a a fluid concept and and it's evolving in real time even as we talk just last night in my household we were watching the simpsons uh, my son's (laughs) girlfriend had only seen one episode of the simpsons when they got together a little over a year ago and so he's been taking her through the series and so we were watching some and my son was noting that of some of the last episodes that they've watched together, he said a lot of what we were seeing would be considered sort of transphobic now. And I think they were in season nine. And I said, you know, I don't even think that was a word when they made season nine. Like, I don't remember anybody ever saying something was transphobic because all of culture was transphobic 20 something years ago. So it's definitely always changing and and the Simpsons is is tracking part of that change but I mean for me the way that the show is both trying to reflect that 50s sense of you know Homer at work and Marge staying home like you know they set it up that way so that they can satirize it better and so sometimes when I'm asking my students like if the show is sort of giving back to us positively those older gender roles or not, they say, well, they're showing, you know, the man going to work and the woman staying at home. And, but then I push them and I'm like, but are they showing that's a good idea? Are they showing that the right person is going to work? And and those are really fruitful <laughs> discussions because of course they realize Marge is a lot smarter than he is and you know, would probably, well, we've seen, she would be promoted by now and, <laughs> wherever she was and she's a hard worker and, and so I mean it just it, talking about gender since every character has a gender and lives in a society that has expectations of what that means like it's just so fruitful for class discussion yeah even you know when Bart uh, ends up having to like take a dance class and like you know uh, or when Homer wears a pink shirt like right. you know yeah. uh, the Simpsons was really great about um, kind of looking at those really small um, obstacles that men can face when it when they're being asked you know how feminine quote unquote am I allowed to be um, how sensitive can I be and something that is so great about Bart, uh, in addition to being voiced by a woman, is how fluid he could be, that he dresses up in, uh, you know, his mom's clothes sometimes and wears wigs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't think it's necessarily a statement or even an indicator about, like, who Bart may or may not become in the future. But um, I think it's really fun that it taps into what most kids are like when they're not being forced to be any one way, which is kind of a just a kid who does their fun thing and right. you know they don't really harp on about it too much and mm-hmm. I, I really love that 
Yeah. And I think that on that note, a, a lot of people could sort of take what you said and then maybe apply it to Millhouse and how it is different when Millhouse sort of gender bends because it's most often for a laugh. But I would also argue that that's not the gender bending that is getting the laugh. It's just that Millhouse is a nerd. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. you know, it's always him in his personality, him in his essence of being this dweeb that is what is being made fun of versus, you know, uh, Millhouse in a dress, you know, that kind of very low hanging fruit, which we all know um, that The Simpsons never succumbs to low hanging fruit, which is why it stands in a class among itself. Mm -hmm. But Martin, he gets He he gets it. Also, he's a little more problematic, I think. Yeah, there are still more components to why Martin is made fun of beyond his feminine characteristics. And, um, you know, I think maybe a lot of people would point to that and go, well, they are making fun of him for having a very high pitched squeaky voice. They're making fun of him for having, um, you know, in the episode where uh, Mrs. Krabappel and Principal Skinner get together, they are in his little, um, you know, a little house. And, you know, what kind of boy (laughs) has a tea set? I think we know the answer to that. A lucky boy, you know, lucky. Yeah. Which, which, which kind of includes Skinner into that characterization. If we were to sort of draw a line and then that makes it a little bit more fluid too. I, I, I acknowledge that these jokes are pointing to an uncharacteristically feminine quality in this child, but I also don't feel like it is really, truly the butt of the joke nine times out of ten. I think that it sort of is within a soup of other dweeby characteristics that are specific to Martin and different than Milhouse, but they're both dweebs in their own right, if I may. And he's also incredibly intelligent, like Lisa, Mm -hmm. and gets kind of ostracized for that. Because being smart is not was is sometimes not seen as sexy when everyone knows that being smart is really really sexy. So <laughs> it's kind of it, it's yeah it's just, it's kind of for the humor, right? It's mm-hmm. um, you talk a lot about Simpsons linguistics in your book, and that's something that you know we've discussed a lot on this podcast with you know words like embiggens and cromulent and you know the the yoinks of the world that sort of invade our everyday speech. And before we get to what your favorite Simpsons words that you like to say in everyday life are, um, I want to address the fact that we are, uh, as of the date of this recording in the year of our Lord 2020, um, the following words are included in the English dictionary from the Simpsons, embiggen, cromulent, meh, jeebus, avoision, <laughs> Craptacular. And of course, I'm curious, why do you think these words have invaded our normal daily speech? And uh, why do you think they were the ones chosen to ascend into the English dictionary? <laughs> I'll take craptacular. Um, because because the world loves a blend. We love blended words. I would also extend that to chocotastic. I think that will be next. And wafflicious. I mean, yeah. we love, you know, with blended words, they're, they're important in technology. I don't know a lot about technology, but I think that that's where a lot of them come from. So I think that that's probably where craptacular came from. And it's also <laughs> funny, right? Because something that's spectacular is often a good thing. The combination there is kind of great. Mm-hmm. The unexpected combination of craptacular. I don't know. What do you think, Karma? Well, 
I mean, for use, I mean, for me, cromulent is my favorite. Yes. And <laughs> I think it's probably the one that I use the most. Um, I know that for the dictionaries and things, one of the rules is that you have to show that it's been used in a certain number of sources. I actually, I looked this up a thousand years ago when Doe finally made it into the dictionary. Um, but I think with Cromulent, what had happened was there were scientists who were using that word in discourse about each other's theories. Um, <laughs> And so that's sort of how it spread and made it in. And I love that, you know, you have all of these geeks who are watching this geeky show who are then passing that geeky word. And now it just gets to be a word in the dictionary. And I love that. It kind of means the same thing as copacetic, right? And copacetic is a word that kind of nobody knows the origin of. And I kind of love that maybe in, you know, a hundred years, people will be saying cromulent and have no idea why. Yes. <laughs> that kind of makes me think just this, you know, this idea of these nerds kind of bonding over the Simpsons and, and somewhat of an inside joke occurring um, just from this shared love. Do you feel like we've lost any level of kind of the specialness that surrounds the Simpsons because it has gone on as long as it has and it's now a theme park and it's owned by Disney and it's, you know, it's like you can't, the Simpsons has always been popular, but, you know, I, it, and, you know, I think just about anyone on earth could enjoy it. It's by no means like an obscure show, but do you still feel like there is this level of like specialness when you meet someone who likes the same Simpsons episodes as you, or do you think that maybe has shifted over the years? I know for me, unlike Denise, I'm single and it's, it's definitely a selling point. If a guy can, can quote some Simpsons at me. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's required. I once, my sister broke up with a man who had never seen the Simpsons before. And I'm sure there were other reasons why the breakup happened, but I'm going to think that was the only one. I don't know. I mean, sometimes when I think about it's losing its specialness again, I sort of go back to the way we watch. I mean, it's, it's different now that we can, go online and sort of stream it anytime we want to, as opposed to a really long time ago where it was something that you gathered with your friends or your family at a certain time for, right? That, that people in their dorm common room would all go watch that show together at a certain time instead mm -hmm. of part the way we do now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons that, um, in addition to breaking the format and, um, you know, being less common that the Treehouse of Horror episodes are always so fun um, because there's only one of those a year. And if you're only going to watch one episode, I think that's going to be the one that you really are going to want to watch with people. Like, I, I definitely see that as kind of an event. Um, but aside from shows like, you know, recently like Game of Thrones, like you're really not seeing those, those you know, groups of people all watching something at once, which is why it was really fun when the uh, FXX did the marathon of The Simpsons. Right. That was actually, yeah. it really brought some magic back. And it was cool to know that, like, oh, everyone else is watching this at the same time as me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and people were live tweeting about it. And that's always fun. And on Sunday nights, I try to I try to do some tweeting and see what other people are saying about the new episodes. 
So I'm curious, this is a question that Allie and I get all the time, and I'm sure you do too, so I apologize in advance because it may cause an existential crisis, but <laughs> when people approach you, as I'm sure they do, and ask, I've ne- they go, I've never seen The Simpsons, or I haven't seen enough, or I have a friend that hasn't seen The Simpsons, what is your starter kit of episodes <laughs> for the show? I recently got asked this, this is why I'm asking, I recently got asked this, and it was like an ask I got via email on Monday, and it took me all goddamn week to assemble. I was like, I'm I'm having a deep existential, like I need to just take a nap. Um, but I'm just curious, uh, off, maybe just off the top of your head, what are the episodes that you recommend to people as good entry points into the show? I use Lemon of Troy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I and of course, uh, it. That episode is commemorated by the amazing cover that Denise was able to arrange um, on the new book. But, you know, we have it's just such a well-written episode. All these jokes come back. I love that in that episode you get to see the kids' imagination. Like Millhouse thinking camouflage is going to (laughs) work. You know, (laughs) Bart imagining people in the future giving a shit about him writing his name in concrete you know you you get to see how kids minds work but it's also one of those great episodes that you can completely understand without knowing anything about the iliad and (laughs) the trojan but then there is just this sustained reference in the end to this piece of classical literature and so it's the episode where sort of everything comes together i think the best for me yeah I love that episode because it, it's one of the few stories that we get of all the kids hanging out and having mm-hmm. kids stories in that. And it came pretty late in the show's run, I want to say. It was like season eight or season nine or something. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it was six. Ah! In front of me, but <laughs> I think it was six. Well, that's still pretty late. Yeah. What are other episodes? Of course, Lemon of Troy, of course, um, Much A Poo About Nothing and Coming to Homerica together because those are the two immigration episodes. And, of course, um, Minnesota Vikings Apparel makes makes an appearance Mm -hmm. in Coming to Homerica. And um, there's a Prince reference in Lemon of Troy, by the way. But, um, yeah, I I love those two for the – not so subtle immigration discussion that happens because you know in coming to America they're actually building the wall, right? Wow, yeah. And um, Lisa on Ice is probably what I consider to be possibly the most perfect Simpsons episode. Aww. Oh, it's so. Good. I feel like every every line, every moment is brilliant from beginning to end. I feel like the relationship between Bart and Lisa, the kicking and arm swinging, is so good. It is so good. <laughs> It's so tender. Just every every moment, the what's Maggie done? Nothing for nobody. And she reaches <laughs> up and grabs the beer bottle. I just everything in that episode, I think, is um, just brilliant from beginning to end. Um, I really, really love that one. So have you guys uh, given a ton of thought about how you would like to see the show end uh, in, in the event that it ever does? There's a possibility it never, ever ends. But is there is there a version that makes you guys feel like, yeah, that sounds good? I can't go there. That's too dark. It's too sad. It's like <laughs> what happens after life. <laughs> Some people have talked about the idea of it all kind of going back to the family. So watching them all kind of sitting around the TV. You know, a long time ago, there was the idea that it would 
be revealed, you know, that Krusty is actually right. Homer. <laughs> We've long since passed that. But it's it's an interesting thing, and I assume it comes up in the classes and different discussions you guys have with your students. But something that I find really interesting about the duration of The Simpsons is just that, you know, the Simpsons nuclear family does not exist uh, as as it's not as common uh, these days. And so, you know, in addition to as we talked about, like Marge being the stay at home mom, like that happens. It's not as super, super common. And, you know, just the the, the dynamics are, are shifting. And The Simpsons does a good job of implementing like the social media and the different things that happen. But it just looks a little different and it doesn't necessarily match everyone's family. So I'm wondering, like, what will the end have that reminds us like but everybody kind of is the Simpsons in some way or another whether you have two parents uh, that are women or you have you know you're an only child or whatever it is like because they're such relatable characters so I'm I'm very excited although sad to eventually see yeah what they do with that because it's going to be a tearjerker no matter what I'm already mourning it as you're talking about I'm like I don't want no (laughs) (laughs) I will be in a dark place I think for a little while but yeah what okay so you don't have to guess how it will end but let me give you options would you rather it (laughs) end? it's like movie phone (laughs) yeah would you rather end like Seinfeld where there is some uh you know you get to see almost every single person that's ever been on the show kind of explaining their connection to the the Simpsons so we get the entire town um uh or do you would you rather end like a normal episode they make no fuss or muss about uh it being the finale it's just a it's just an episode or would you rather there be some crazy twist? Uh, so it's going to be like uh, Bob Newhart or Lost or something where it's like this has all been a dream or there is there's actually never been a Bart, mm. <laughs> you know. Uh, so of those three, if you could choose, what would be the most fun for you guys individually? I, I think I'd like to do some variation maybe on the third one, but not like with the crazy twist. Nobody has to be dreaming, but maybe like... Um, ending with like Maggie and her kids and she's trying to get them to sit down and just all watch something together. Oh, no. <laughs> That's great. I love that. That's very sweet. A future episode would kill me. I always love the fast forwards. Yeah, I was thinking a future episode too. Which of the various flash forwards have they done that is actually how it turns out right you know i would like to see president lisa simpson yeah in real life um <laughs> yeah um <laughs> she would make a perfectly cromulent president <laughs> she would embiggen the funds needed for climate change <laughs> she certainly would and Allie, I won't wreck the finale of Six Feet Under for you, Thank but you. I know a million people <laughs> on Twitter have told you that it's going to be amazing and it yes. will be. But I would like to see something like that, but not nearly as sad. So when you when you get to that. Yes, I will. I will check back in. Oh, no, I know it's going to be not, sad. It's not that it's sad, it's that it's poignant. I also yeah. just for the first time in my life finished The Sopranos, so I know how that ends finally. Hey. Oh, wouldn't that be hilarious if they were all just like sitting around Moe's and don't, like and Journey was playing? Lisa's trying to park her bike. Uh, 
I'll throw my answer in. I want to combine option B and option C. I want a really like poignant wrap up that gives everybody it's like an hour long, maybe two hours, but it gives everybody <laughs> their moment and, you know, a send off that feels like really right in the only way that it can be right in 30 to 60 minutes. But then I want in classic Simpsons fashion, the last 30 seconds to be like, and here's a twist and we're going on a race around the world, you know, <laughs> and it's, you know, we, we are thinking that it's all one story. And then the, the last minute it, it turns around and, you know, then they make some joke and they exit and that's it. Yeah, it's uh, it's very crazy to think about it ever ending. Fortunately, there's no end in sight yet. No. People have said that because of Disney, it's going to be forced I to end. Think I just don't buy it. Iger knows what he's doing. I, Iggy, my Iggy loves TV. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he's just going to keep on keeping on. Uh, so uh, I, I would love to go out kind of with a... Uh, a lesson uh we when we would do everything's coming up simpsons we would ask what is the lesson that uh we could take away from the episode we discussed or the conversation that we had so we could pick something that we've discussed today but i'm also curious if if there is a a lesson you have learned in your teachings in your writing in your you know your scholarly pursuits of the simpsons what does the simpsons teach us uh if you could just pick one thing that you think is is particularly meaningful to you what does the simpsons teach us you you mean besides that we all need to learn roman numerals yes um, <laughs> adrian's <laughs> revenge that's good for me <laughs> oh so much i mean for me it it does come back to their love for each other um and I mean, that's what separates it from a lot of the other adult animation out there. Um, you know, I'm, I don't get the sense in so many of the sort of children of the Simpsons, like Family Guy and stuff, that there are people who genuinely care about each other. Yeah. And, you know, that's what brings me back to this show. I mean, the... You know, the the Simpsons gather around the TV to watch this together. And my son, you know, has watched all these episodes with me. And now he's watching these episodes again with his girlfriend. Like that, you know, the Simpsons just watching TV was something kind of phenomenal that most families didn't do in sitcoms. Yeah. But do it. And so, you know, the, the fact that TV is not just this horrible thing that so many people used to say that it was, but instead there is some value in it. There is this possibility to learn from it. There is a great possibility to bond. I mean, it's brought all of us together right here. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think that's what I, besides the Roman numerals, what I would. I love it. And also, and also adopt, don't buy your pets. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, yeah, maybe there will be something with Santa's Little Helper since that was the first episode. Oh, yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. This has been such a delight to sit and chat with you guys and learn from you and bask in your cromulent greatness. 
Yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on. We're big fans of you guys. And to our listeners, uh, if you haven't already, uh, make sure you check out both of their books uh, and follow them on Twitter. Is there anything you guys specifically would like to plug? No, just, yeah, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook, both as Simpsonology. And we'd love to, uh, you know, connect online and chat about The Simpsons and its cromulentness. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, and this has been a great. Thank you so much for having us on. Absolutely. It was so much fun. Uh, and Julia, where can people find you? Ha, huh, thanks so much for asking. I'm at Julia Prescott on all the things. Allie, where can people find you? Thank you so much for asking. You can find me at Allie Gertz and all the things, and you can find us at Simpsons Pod. Yes, and make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review Round Springfield on wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, I know you already do it, special Max Fun listener, but tell your friends. Uh, we really appreciate the support. All right. Smell you later. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.